Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 375. Um, and this week's guest is Jane Horrocks. I'm so excited to do this one. It came about in a really interesting way. I think I mentioned it at the end of the podcast, but I did an advert on, on this podcast about SkyQ. And one of the shows I picked in their upcoming list was a show that stars Jane. And I mentioned what a fan I was of her. And someone at Acast reached out and said, you know, she's got a podcast on, on Acast, right, called Queen Bees. And I was like, no, I didn't. And I gave it a listen and I loved it. And they said, yeah, would you like to have her on, on the podcast? And I did very much want to have have Jane on the podcast and it happened. So I hope you enjoy this chat. I'm going to explain something now <laughs> that might not read, but it might do. Because as you know, I say this all the time on these Zoom ones, there's often slight lags or delays and you might end up over overlapping or seem as if you're being rude because you go to talk when they've you think they've stopped and they haven't. On this one, Jane's webcam wasn't on and mine was. So there's a dynamic there where I'm l- listening, but I'm also trying to dr- drive the conversation along. So yeah, I don't know if you'll notice that, but I thought I'd, I'd mention it. But J- 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 Jane was absolutely amazing. I was so pleased to get some time with her. And you'll hear how excited I am and how much I enjoy her podcast as well as her career. And now her as a person. As we chat, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. I'll be doing a a Zoom hangout on there soon. And you can also head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com to get all sorts of stuff. My albums, my DVDs, my merch, and podcast merch. It's a really good way to support the podcast. If If you've been listening for a while and you feel you've got some some value, then maybe buy a t-shirt or buy a mug or buy, you know, anything from the web store. Anyway, I will get on with the podcast. This is episode 375 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Jane Horrocks. I'm joined today by a legend of stage and screen, and as I've learned in 2020, um, developing legend of the hive, um, Jane Horrocks. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How have you been in these um, unusual times? Um, I've been surprisingly good, actually. I've, uh, yeah, enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah. In fact, I've enjoyed most of it because it's just a new way of being, which I think is always uh, quite challenging but often in a good way yeah yeah i completely agree i think particularly in industries like film and tv that don't really accept the concept of time off and pausing and taking a breath it's 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 in many ways a positive to have that forced upon you at times to to readdress everything and to to see how you feel and where you stand i guess yes i think that that word that you used is very good to take a pause yeah my my son used to go to a, a, a sort of Buddhist-led school and wow. they were taught to pause between each lesson. And uh, I think that's a really great way of being, to just take some time to stand still and, um, yeah, look around you and, um, <laughs> and, and just see what you've been missing, actually. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's a beautiful thing. And I think that the world has gone so far towards us all feeling pressure to have instant responses to everything and instant analysis of everything that happens in the whole world because of social media and everything else, I guess. But I think pausing even to see how you think about something is a really positive way of being rather than feeling you have to spout out your instant reaction or or feelings that idea of of pausing is is a powerful one yeah no it definitely is it definitely is and I think that uh, people's response to nature particularly in the first lockdown where we were so blessed with that amazing spring yeah um to actually, you know, be, well, in, in the UK anyway, uh, we were blessed with with an amazing spring, to actually just, yeah, be in nature and um, and see it evolve. I've, I've been cycling every morning since um, the first lockdown. Yeah. And to actually have witnessed the seasons on yeah. my bike um, for nearly a year now is just such an amazing thing to experience, actually. And, and, and every day, because I live uh, by the River Thames, and every day by the river is different. Um, yeah. I've got a friend whose dad was a painter, um, sadly now deceased, but he used to paint um, a certain setting in the local area and kept going back to, to do it again and again and again because the light was always different. It was always different every, every time he visited this that. setting. And I think that's what I've experienced on my cycle ride, that the light is always different and even on a dull day, it, there's something about it. There's something atmospheric about the river and nature around it and being able to see certain buildings um, in the winter because the leaves aren't on the trees and then you you can't see them when the leaves are on the trees and you think, gosh, I can see that building again now because there's no leaves. Yeah. And, um, and, and the noises as well. You know, I, I don't cycle with headphones and just listening to nature as well as I'm cycling is a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. I, I, I love that. And I love those adjustments that, because particularly in big cities, there's so many things that change and are adjusted by man. I love those adjustments of nature. As you say, the simplicity of leaves coming off of a tree and making something that completely blocked everything out now almost transparent. And you have to kind of look to, to, to notice the branches as such. I think that's a, a beautiful thing to watch those changes. Did, do you feel having that morning cycle was good for you to have some kind of routine, something that you're doing every day, here's what I get up and do, rather than, well, this pandemic seems never-ending, I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing? Uh, yeah, you know, that, absolutely, yeah, having a routine. Um, I mean, I didn't know how long I would stick with the cycle ride, but having, you know, I've continued to do it and really if I can't do it for some reason, I really miss it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, it does. It kind of anchors my day. It starts my day and I feel good after I've done it and I feel I've got sort of energy yeah. and freshness to then attack the day or whatever I've got to do. Yeah, I, I, I think those routines have been really important to people to think, well, I do that then and I do that then. Also having, you know, openness in your in your routine as well to do something other um but um I found that I've really wanted to be more creative as well having that space to just sit and pause and think well actually what do I want to do what do I want to create and I think that actually we're very fortunate that we we have kind of 
a creative disposition because I think that has been massively helpful during this time to think, well, actually, all right, I can't go out. But, well, you can't go out. You can go out for a walk. But, you know, just to think, well, what, what, what would I like to do creatively? What's the next kind of thing that I'd like to do? And that's, uh, that's, I think that's been really exciting for me anyway. Yeah, it's a really positive thing. And, again, I think in the acting industry, because of I, – I, I'm convinced that no matter how long you're in this world, there's always a level of insecurity on what the next job is and what's ahead. So I think there's a natural thing of – at times, just thinking, I need to find out what the next job is or what work is, rather than in this period, it's given us time to go, well, what would I like it to be? And what do I want to do next, rather than what's available and what can I grab onto and and, and become part of? I think you're completely right, that pause of creativity to go, well, if I was starting from scratch, if there was a, a, bl- a blank slate, and a lot of this period feels like a blank slate, what would I want to fill that slate with? And that's a powerful thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is a powerful thing, yes. And collaboration as well, you know, getting to, together with like-minded people. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of having meetings on Zoom and then going away and thinking about something, thinking actually this is this is still very exciting. It still can be very exciting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been working on a, a, a couple of things for future sort of festivals, you know, very, very different things from what I've done before. Aren't more on the art side actually than than the acting side, yeah. and th- that feels like a progression. Yeah, um, I mean, these conversations always go all over the place, and there's there's mm. loads that I want to talk to you about along your career and along your life. But it seems we're at a perfect point where speaking of deciding what you want to do next and what your next creative outlet will be, I think no one predicted that that period of thinking would result in um, a podcast about bees, which (laughs) has been an absolute joy. Honestly, it's been such a a revelation. Um, I had no idea. Obviously, I I support bees. I think they're really important. Mm -hmm. It's it's very, thankfully, it's being pushed more and more, their importance of, in the ecosystem of everything. But I didn't think I'd be interested in hearing a conversation about it episode <laughs> after episode. But then on series two, I was, I was delighted when you had Paul Whitehouse on because I had already felt in series one, it felt like Paul and Bob's uh, fishing show. Because again, I've, I've had no interest in, in fishing up until then, but yeah. just two friends engaging in it. And again, as you kind of highlight in that episode, one's an expert and one that, respectfully isn't um but that's perfect for the listener because you're asking all the questions that and you're comfortable asking the questions that 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 we would all ask so how did that come about I guess well it was just before lockdown actually and um I've been yeah I've been doing um a radio show that Claire Broughton produced for Hattrick and then I just said to her you know sort of can I maybe come with an idea to you with with Esther Esther Coles who I do the uh, bee po- yeah. podcast with and we, we weren't actually thinking about the bees right then but then when we got together um and we met Claire it just seemed natural that it would be about the bees yeah. um because uh, I mean I love Esther's allotment and I've visited her allotment a lot of times and uh, it's just such an idyllic spot 
and she's an idyllic person, actually. Uh, yeah. She's a, a friend, but an inspiration as well. Uh, and we have a lovely friendship. And I just thought, oh, it'd be so nice not just to kind of talk about random stuff, but to talk about a specific subject of which she is an expert. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about bees apart from the kind of random things that I'd asked her along the way. Yeah. Um, and I sort of toyed with the idea of, of being a beekeeper. Me and my daughter had sort of toyed with the idea of having a hive in the garden, but then that passed. I mean, I do laugh at es- with Esther that I pro- she's probably put me off becoming a say, beekeeper. <laughs> so some of the drama that unfolds <laughs> off the bat is yes. understandably put you off, but it's... It's a beautiful thing to kind of hear unfold because it's again, it's nature, and and nature can't adhere to the schedule of a, sh- a podcast that you want to make or whatever else. Because from episode one, it doesn't go as you both expected it to go, and and no. and that kind of continues. And that's but that's the beautiful part of it. Again, as co- comparing again with Paul and Bob's a fishing show, you can't write it out that at this point we're going to catch this fish and it's going to have this payoff here's going to be the ending you see what happens and it seems for a long time in tv and radio and everywhere we got away from that freedom it, documentaries always seem to to want to have an almost arranged or or fixed here's the outcome that we're going to go for here's our big crescendo whereas the beauty of true documentary and true observation of nature is you don't have that control. It might end with you both going, okay, well, that's probably the end, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> rather than here's the big, here's the big moment, you know? Yes, no, absolutely. Well, the fact that Esther's uh, bees, you know, um, well, one of her hives, one of her colonies died um, uh, and, uh, well, had to be got rid of uh, because of um, a bee disease. I mean, that was that was pretty devastating, but also because she'd lost all her bees before we even started that podcast. Yeah. So she was, you know, in quite a, a sort of vulnerable place anyway. Yeah, so it was, uh, it, it, for, for Esther, it was really interesting because she'd never experienced anything like it in her 12 years of beekeeping. This was all new territory for her. So in a way, it was it was fantastic for the podcast because it was like she was learning something completely new as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, N- numerous times I felt s- sorry for her, though, because it was clear she wanted to kind of say, I do know about bees. It just happens that <laughs> out of nowhere, as soon as we press record, stuff I've never experienced has started happening. So now I seem kind yeah. of as as clueless as anyone kind of thing and trying to figure it yes. out. But yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. But it, but yeah, it's lovely. But also uh, because Claire gave us such free reign, we could actually talk about anything. Yeah, we didn't have like a normal sort of situation where, uh, like you say, we had to follow A, B and C and get to a certain point and it all be kind of rounded off all beautifully. Yeah, it just had quite free reign on what to do. And, you know, we, we sort of chose our guests as well, have chosen our guests. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's just felt very, very organic, actually, a very organic process. And I think as a result, because Esther and I weren't able to see each other in lockdown, it, it was just, it really helped keep our friendship buoyant. Yeah. And and when we did actually get to see each other, which was at the end of, episode, uh, of series one, and we had our little tea party, it was such a glorious day. 
not only was the sun shining, but it was just so lovely to actually see Esther on the plot again yeah. and uh, and taste honey and, you know, have this wonderful tea party. And then, you know, the beginning of series two with Paul Whitehouse again and going back on the plot. And I didn't know because I was working on a series at the time, so I didn't know whether I was going to be able to join them. So it was a surprise and turning up. And again, it was a beautiful day. And, you know, we had this idyllic lunch on the plot. And it was it was kind of like we were in the south of France. It didn't kind of feel like we were in an urban environment in London. Yeah, everything has fallen beautifully into place. And it's um it's been so good for Esther and the, our other guests who are very knowledgeable about bees to share their experiences of bees and this and the topic goes on it keeps giving and giving yeah. I mean I, I can't believe that we're going to go into series three and there's still more information that that we need to learn about bees oh again I think it's the, it's the freedom that you guys have as well means that it is kind of almost an endless an endless thing that the Vic Reeves episode I was laughing at because I swear there was about five minutes of talking about bees in that episode. <laughs> Vic, yes. Vic, Jim was wonderfully going off on all sorts of tangents, but it worked perfectly because it's <laughs> you've established the relationship between a you and Esther, and then you're then getting the where each of you have met along the line and and things like that. So I think yeah, it's a beautiful thing that it can you've set the format, but it's got the freedom to go, well, actually, we didn't really get that into bees uh, this week, but you, you're familiar uh, with us now. I always think the best TV shows are ones that you get to know the characters so well that you can get to the end of an episode and the overall story arcs haven't really developed at all, but you've just enjoyed spending time with those characters. And yeah, yes. it felt like that. Yeah, exactly. No, that that's exactly it. It. Um, I, I mean, sometimes because I feel like I am the interviewer. Sometimes I have to draw it back to bees <laughs> yeah, if uh, yeah. if if it goes off on too much of a tangent. Yeah, I go, hang on a minute. What about the bees? <laughs> yeah, I love that. How how good are you at, at at retaining knowledge? Because I I find on this podcast I'll have people because I've been doing this for six years now, and I'll have doctors on and scientists and all sorts of fascinating stuff and in the moment I'm taking it all in but at some point in a year or so someone will mention something that happened in a particular episode and I will have forgotten it completely so how is your bee knowledge actually developing or do you feel that you're hearing a lot and some of it's sticking but (laughs) but not all well you're right, some of it does stick, but I've got a brain like a sieve. Um, <laughs> and so it's not, it's, it, yes, a lot of it has fallen through the sieve. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, and, and each kind of expert that we do get on, we had somebody recently who um, had, a, had a specific illness and she cured herself actually by getting a beehive and learning about the bees. And, wow. um, and uh, she's now um, a honey sommelier. Oh wow! And she was so she was so brilliantly uh, informative about the bees that there was there was so much to take in, and we've we've had other experts on because there is it, it it's cluttered with information. It's very very hard sometimes to retain. I'm always amazed how much Esther retains. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm a bit like you. <laughs> what 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 did did they say? I, I did start out writing all the stuff down, writing all the episodes down and the information that was of yeah. interest. And then after episode two, I stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't remember a lot of it. 
I think it's the genuine curiosity as as well, though, because I'm again I hear it all the time in 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 Queen Bees is there's genuine excitement and curiosity, but as that is repeated, it means you're jumping onto the next bit and not having time to maybe contemplate and or as we said to pause and fully digest and take in the bit you've just learned because you're going oh what does the, but what does that mean yes. and then yeah it it all moves on yeah that would be great actually if you could say just pause let's yes, that take settle. this in for let, a minute let, yes let's just let that settle <laughs> well were you curious gr- growing up or were you always a curious child who wanted to kind of know what's going on in these things and what all, all these things I don't understand I want an answer for not really, no, no, I, no, I, I wasn't, and I didn't read a great deal when I was growing up, mm-hmm. when I was that young. Um, so no, I don't think I was. I think I was kind of probably more of a a party girl going going out to clubs. Yeah. I think that was my thing. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really have time for information like that because I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just too interested in in, in new romantics, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, what was your route then at that point, or in into the arts, or was it always something you wanted to do? Because the new romantics era did start to throw up greater th- theatrics into mm. in, into the lives of of of, of the fans. Like pr- previously, in a lot of music, you were on one side. And, and and the artists were on the other side. And the New Romantics was one of those eras, similar with punk, I guess, where it felt like you were almost part of the of the art as well. So was that something that yes. kind of, that, that inclusiveness kind of drew you in? Yes. I mean, the theatricality, like you just yeah. said, of, of the New Romantics. I, uh, I mean, that was lovely to be able to dress up and kind of express yourself. Um, I, I used to go to a club in Blackburn, which was called the Lodestar. And um, and there were so many weird and wonderful people there. And when I arrived, I thought, I've met my I've met my crowd. Yeah. These are the type of people that I want to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there was an accessibility with that music. And like you say, with punk as well, that because um, you didn't have to have great musicianship to be a punk, it did allow younger people to say, actually, I can do this. I can play three chords on a guitar. I can do this. Yeah, it it was very empowering for the, for for young people. Yeah, how 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 was that to find your crowd? Because I think it's a it's a weird one. Because I remember gr- growing up, a lot of the music I got into first was from a, a before my time. It was Hendrix and 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 the Doors and things like that. Mm. So I didn't realize until I found one or two bands that were happening now, and it. It suddenly I realised, oh, this connection is all the all the deeper because I'm finding other people. Again, I also I grew up in a small town out away from the big cities or whatever, and I think uh, that was relevant in the north at that time in particular as well. That there could have been a, a feeling of isolation when the music that you're listening to seems so far away. Uh, 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 so to then find that club or that that area where oh, there are more people like me. That's an empowering and exciting thing, right? Yes, it was wonderful. And then that club closed down and oh, right. um, and a new club opened in Burnley called Angels and all the people from the Lodestar then went to the Angels. So it was like, oh gosh, they're all here as well. Uh, I mean, I did, I did a job for the Manchester International Festival a few years ago and um, a lady that set, well, that co-set the festival up 
she used to go go to both those clubs and it was uh it was so nice actually to talk to her about about those times and I thought gosh I, I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody who used to go to that club at that time yeah. Yeah. and uh it was it, it just felt yeah we, we had a connection and uh yeah years later to to find somebody who was also there and uh, and remembered those times and remembered those people as well I love that but I, I think also you know like that accessibility and I think you know sort of uh when you're growing up, I mean, I came from a very parochial little town in Lancashire and Blackburn wasn't far away from where I, I lived, so it wasn't so far. But the idea of going to Manchester felt like a really big thing to go to the Hacienda. Yeah. would have felt like a really massive step. And, you know, I think I was too small town to go that far at that stage. Yeah. But uh, uh, the bands that I followed at that time were... Joy Division, as well as um, the the kind of new romantic lot, they were a, mm-hmm. a kind of a big influence for me. I then later did um, a video for New Order and met them on several occasions. And I, gosh, you know, of all the actors, the big actors that I've met, yeah. I've never had such a thrill as meeting New Order and being yeah. in that video. Yeah. Um, because I never imagined there was this kind of, it's them and us, you know, this inaccessibility that, gosh, they're a big kind of, you know, they're in this amazing band. Yeah, I think that that for me was, was um, yeah, such a thrill. And I, I again, at the, the Manchester Festival, I met them because they were performing at the same time that I was there. And uh, and I met them again and I uh, I, I said, oh, can I, can I have a selfie with you? <laughs> and and they, they said, we have met you before, you know, on a few occasions. And I'd like, I'd like kind of forgotten it because I just thought it was the first time that I was meeting them again. It was like, I was just like so starstruck, like a, like a silly schoolgirl. That's absolutely amazing. And I, I, I love that idea of the, the reef finding all those people from the club in the new club. Cause I think it's a hard concept to understand if you've grown up in, in the social media era, but. I definitely had that pre-social media that there's a whole group of people that aren't actually your friends and you don't know them, but you kind of do because you're all in the same yes. place each week after week and there's certain ones who you recognise their particular outfits or they'll always dress a certain way and they are important characters in your in your life, just not at that point at the level where you're going to exchange phone numbers and, and keep in contact. So when a club like that closes down there is a lot of characters are suddenly removed from your life and the excitement of them finding another club and going they're all here (laughs) they existed (laughs) in the real world it wasn't just this fictional thing that just happened in this one place they're real they're back again yeah yeah i love that so i can't even imagine the excitement of then meeting someone years down the line who was also there (laughs) oh my god they actually they turned into real people and grew up in the real world and and had lives that's amazing. Yes. I thought they were just a memory. <laughs> so, 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 what was your route into kind of a, a performing? A, a then, I guess, because if if at that time bands like Joy Division seemed so out of reach and unattainable, what was the the thing that made you realise that being part of the performing arts was attainable? But, but because again, the the North in particular at, at, at that time you're not going to have spoken or I'd imagine that you're not going to have spoken to a career advisor and they've said, 
yeah, you can be an actor or you can do this or do that. <laughs> it's it's kind of not the kind of thing that they they suggest at that point. So so what was your your route there, I guess? Well, I decided at the age of nine, which was quite young, that I wanted to be an actor. Amazing. I didn't know how I was going to go about it, but um, I had a very supportive mum and dad who, well, my mum in particular, kind of sought out various avenues that I could go down and found a course in Oldham, which did uh, a foundation course in, in drama and yeah. uh, which was attached to Oldham Tech. So I, I, I was able to do A-levels there as well. So I, I got in there, but yes, you're right. My school's advisors, you know, if you wanted to be a nurse <laughs> or a secretary, yeah. great, but not an actor. I mean, they really, you know, no, no idea at all. So I, I was very fortunate that my mum was forethinking enough to be able to seek out information for me. And uh, I don't mean that she was a a showbiz type mum. She wasn't that at all. She just wanted her children to be happy and pursue what they wanted to pursue. Um, And so, yeah, I went there and then um, I applied to drama schools and got into RADA and kind of, you know, then it it just developed from there. It it took its almost natural course from there. How was it at RADA? Because I've spoken to a few different people in the past and... There's been mixed stories. I'd spoken to one or two people who felt they felt like the almost novelty working class person at, at, at RADA at that time. But then I spoke to Maxine Peake and she was saying almost the, the opposite. She felt completely embraced and completely respected as, as, as such. So how was how was that? Because again, RADA, there was always a, a, a strong community of from wealthy backgrounds often from london or from the south so when there's a new northern person in the mix it it can stand mm-hmm. out right or you can be the obvious person for certain roles or whatever else so how was that how did that all feel i guess um uh, well like maxine i felt very embraced and i was very fortunate that that my term because it was in terms at that point so there mm. were just seven terms um at rada not three years and in my term, there was a real mixed bag of people right. uh, from, you know, a very middle class world to working class and well, even upper class because Ray Fines was in my term. Um, so it was it was a real kind of mixture of people. And, yeah, there were a lot of northern uh, working class people in that term. And uh, so I, I didn't I didn't feel out of it at all. And in fact, a lot of the teachers kind of leaned maybe more towards the working class folk yeah. uh you know we we i think we felt quite special actually and and were very embraced and celebrated and i think i don't i, I don't think uh, certainly in the, the the majority of time that i was there there was no issue with casting that you would always get cast as what you were yeah. um you know you you got really challenged at Rod, well, I certainly was very challenged, and um, it, uh, yeah, I, I had a really happy time there. Actually, really, really good time. Uh, yeah, I met some really lovely people, and uh, the term that I was in at Rada was was quite special. Actually, I did have a lot of people who have who have done very well subsequently, which is yeah. is quite extraordinary because a lot of terms, you know, maybe two people might have done well. Mm in the profession and then others chose to do something else and did well in those professions. Yeah, of um, but um, 
you know, as far as the acting side, the success rate wasn't actually that that that, yeah. that great. Who was who was in your in in your term? Who comes to to, to mind as having uh, yeah persisted with it uh, and well, done well? The, yeah, well, there was Ray Fiennes, who's yeah. not done too bad. Yeah, he's done alright. Um, <laughs> and uh, Ian Glenn. Yeah. Jason Watkins, I don't yeah. know if you know Jason Watkins, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, Neil Dudgeon, who's a Midsummer Murder detective now. Yes, cool. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, Imogen Stubbs. Right, wow, it's amazing. At that stage, do you feel you had a clear idea of what area you wanted to, to, to go into regarding kind of drama or comedy? Because again, look, I like your career has 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 brought everything in over time. Was that always the plan, or did you feel, or did you at first think, well, here's what I want to do, or or were you open to everything? I guess. Uh, yeah, I was open to everything. I, I I didn't want to be pigeonholed in anything. I, I I wanted to yeah have a real range of stuff, and you know I'm a character actress, so I wanted to play characters. Yeah. Um, and I I feel that. I have orchestrated my own career in in the way that I've wanted it to go. Um, Towards the end of RADA, I did actually get cast as a lot of old people, I think, because I was a a good character actress. And me and Jason were the same. Jason Watkins, we always got the old people. (laughs) And uh, so when I left RADA, I kind of thought, oh, I don't think I know how to play young people. Um, Because I played, you know, I was one of my early parts was, playing a 17-year-old girl. And I thought, I know how to play a 70-year-old, but not a 17-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and and so that was, you know, that was kind of quite... And actually, fortunately, the 17-year-old was a little old-timer anyway, so it was perfect. <laughs> um, That's wonderful. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think um, I've always wanted to challenge myself, so I've always gone for work that has... Yeah, been the next level up or, you know, a harder version of, yeah, of what I've previously done. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a character actor's job is almost to to, to, to not be recognised as such, right? It's it, it, it's not meant to be your your um, your Brad Pitt or, or whomever else where, oh, that's uh, them in the film. So how was it when Absolutely Fabulous blew up so much and you had a character that was so recognized and so known how was that as 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 a point in in your career to become such a a household name I guess um it was nice because you know I was involved in a in a project i.e ab fab which was very um ahead of its time yeah. and uh, the writing in it was so fantastic and um Jennifer is so clever and she got together a wonderful cast and it was just one of those things that kind of just gelled and just happened when none of us knew that it was going to be as successful that it that, and it was yeah. and um so I think it, it was a surprise to us all that it did so well and and that we beca- started to become kind of household names yeah uh, you know, as an actor, I think that um, you hope for those roles. You hope for something that, you know, a define, definable role. And um, I, I feel very, very blessed that I've, you know, had a couple of those. And it's, um, yeah. I, I know that some people might see it as a curse and think, oh, you know, I can't move on from those roles. And I'm, people are always thinking of me as that role. And they don't think outside the box because that role is so known. But I, I, um, I've never thought that actually. I've, I've always 
felt very grateful that I've had those parts and yeah. and I've always felt very very fond of those roles and uh they, they were lovely to play and 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 you know they brought a lot of pleasure to people so yeah and avfab you know people when people still talk about avfab and still want to talk about avfab I don't mind because yeah. I think well I'm I'm blessed to have had that yeah I mean it's it's great because you because you mentioned a little earlier about kind of plotting the path that you wanted with your career and this is a kind of period that feels like that that couldn't be clearer because it feels like it was done with perfection because when a little voice appeared it blew everyone away and and it seemed to or I I know for me it, it came out of nowhere because I wasn't aware that this was a play that you'd done previously that had been written specifically for you and to showcase your your range and, and and variation. So what better thing to arrive just as you as you mentioned, others may be worried about being typecast or being so known for one specific character that you'll never get anything else. It seemed like it's the perfect f- film and role to, to then go, oh look, here's me. I'm not only that, I'm 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 all these things as well. Yeah, I mean that was uh, again so wonderful that I met Jim Cartwright and that I did his first play at the Royal Court Road, yeah. and um, and we became friends. And he found out that I could do these impersonations, which I've been doing for years. You know, you know, it was kind of like a, a bit of a party piece. You know, that I rolled out for my mum and dad's friends, <laughs> yeah. much to my mum's horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it, you know, it, it wasn't anything that I thought would be used in a professional sense. And so it was quite frightening for me, actually, at first, because I thought I've only ever done these in on a social level. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure they're good enough to present professionally. I remember because Michael Codron produced the, the play in the West End um, and the National Theatre. And uh, I remember sending him a tape of me doing the impersonations. <laughs> I was so nervous about it because I thought, oh gosh, I'm really not sure that they're good enough um, to, you know, to put on a on the National Theatre stage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, they, they thought they were all right. Yeah, it was nice following Abfab to be able to do something like that because, yeah. you know, that role did encapsulate really everything that I could do quite well so I thought well if I never do another part again this has been the part that kind of has defined me that is really who I am and then to do it on film so it's immortalized was 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 the icing on the cake um yeah I kind of feel that yeah I was kind of heading towards that point that I mean I think that is probably the highlight of um my career and um I don't mean it's gone downhill <laughs> since then but it's gone in a different direction <laughs> it's I mean but there's been such variation is what is what um, amazes me um so I guess to stick on the the musical kind of elements thing I was a huge fan of Sunshine on Leaf I think Dexter's great as a director and he's got such passion for music and film but I'm a huge fan of the Proclaimers anyway so it's. I just think it was similarly a great chance, a great opportunity to um, to immortalise what great songwriters they are and storytellers they are. Because I think particularly in the UK, they're a little bit laughed off at points as 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 a, as a novelty act, as 
the the, the five hundred miles the mm. guys with the glasses and the and the funny accents, but they're amazing. So how was that to work on when that came about? So many years after doing, yeah, the musical or showing your musical ability. Yeah, it was it was lovely actually because it came came out of the blue. The producer, I think I was in Greece at the time, and the producer called me when I was in Greece on holiday and asked me whether I'd be interested. And I didn't know a lot of um, Proclaimers songs, obviously the obvious ones, but yeah. I didn't know a lot of their back catalogue. And when I heard the songs, in fact, I didn't, I didn't even know Sunshine on Leith. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a lovely thing to be involved in, and. I think their songs are so poetic and, and actually hearing other people sing those songs and yeah. particularly the duets in that film, which I, th- I think are absolutely beautiful. It really highlighted what amazing poets they were, those boys. Well, they are yeah. still. Yeah, yeah and uh, and like you say, Dexter is such a wonderful director and a wonderful person yeah. and breathed life into that film and made it joyous and uh, celebratory. You know, because I think sometimes musicals on film nowadays can be slightly naff. Yeah, um, yeah completely. And how, how, why, why are you bursting into song? Why are you singing now? Yeah. And, <laughs> and he just kind of created a scene, created scenes where the singing was natural and it wasn't, you know, because it happened in a pub or it happened, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a lot of it was, was, was kind of pub singing and, yeah. um, and it, it felt organic. It didn't feel like it was coming out of nowhere. And I think Dexter worked really hard to create that within the film. And also we have Peter Mullen in it, who yeah. has a naffometer. There's not nothing naff gets gets past Peter. No, and, completely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was good having the two of them on the naffometer. I yeah. think that's why it worked. <laughs> yeah, because that must be such a hard thing. I'd never even thought about it, but even more so on musicals to end each day of filming and go, was that good or was that or was that really naff? <laughs> like, like, as you say, did that work? Did, did we find the right tone there? So, yeah, it must be great having a couple of people who can calm your nerves on that and, and make yes. you more assured that, no, no, it's fine, it's... It's it's worked. Yes. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, well, the um, you touched upon how the kind of creation of 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 the the rise of Little Voice and then of Little Voice was based on your abilities since you were a child to kind of of mimicry and to do voices and things like that. So, has that influenced why you've or or, or your enjoyment or desire to, to do voice work because you've been in some of the watership down. Corpse Brides, a, ch- a Chicken Run, some of the biggest kind of animations and that. Did that draw you there? And do you enjoy that? Is that, because again, it's a very different experience, but an enjoyable one, I, I'd guess. Yeah, I love using my voice, being in a studio, creating a new voice for an animation gives me a massive amount of pleasure. And also being directed, you know, and in, in, in finding a voice as well. So, yeah, I mean, I don't do as many of them now as I used to do, but I used to do so many animations. Yeah. Yeah, and have to think up different voices very quickly. Yeah, I love that. And and still, yeah, still really enjoy, yeah, using my voice as an instrument. Yeah. I've only done a couple of of, of, of animations and, and, and bits of, of audio-based work, and it's a different day at work completely. I don't know. It feels like because there's not, 
you know, all these camera setups and so much other things to put the pressure on, it gives you the freedom to experiment more or the confidence to to play about more or try this and try that. And I imagine particularly with someone who has varied their voice so much that that must be so freeing to to be able to go, right, let's see where we go today, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and to be directed by Nick Park in Chicken Run, um, who was very, very specific about what he wanted, and I really like specific direction. Yeah. I, You know, I respond very well to that. You know, if somebody wants something in particular, I really will, you know, kind of aim to get that. I I don't feel my sort of ego gets in the way that I can can only do my own thing. Uh, I really want to... Yeah, achieve what what their vision is, and again with with Tim Burton in Court's Bride as well. Working on that was um, we, he was very specific about what he wanted. Yeah, there's a great sense of achievement when you think, oh, actually, I'm really, you know, because I did three voices in in Court's Bride, and yeah. three of the they're both, they're all very different, and uh, I love it that you know when people see that film, like when my my kids' friends see it and they say, well, who was your mum? I didn't hear your mum's voice. <laughs> and, and it's so nice to think, well, you'll have to guess who I was. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So um, uh, uh, we're getting t- 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 towards an hour, so I'll, st- I'll start to wrap things mm. up and let you get back to your okay. your life. But um, you mentioned towards the end of Series 1 of Queen Bee you were working on, on, on a show. Was that... Bloods at that point. That's right. Yeah, Bloods. Because yeah. you, you probably won't know, but that's that's how this podcast has happened. Oh, I, don't, oh, I didn't know that. A brief story. Um, <laughs> one of the sponsors on my podcast is Sky Q, and they sent me a load of a list of things that are upcoming, so I could do a kind of here's what I'm excited for. And I saw a Bloods, and I did kind of a read about it. And I mean, as you may have noticed, I'm I'm a big of a fan of you, Jane. I think you're. I think you're wonderful. So I, I, I said so much in the read, and someone at Acast hit me up, going, "You know, Jane's got a podcast with us, right? And we can like, would you like to have her on on the podcast?" So it's, it's the weirdest thing that I, this episode happened b- b- because of a sponsor read, which I've never had that before. But um, <laughs> all right, okay. But how how's that been? So Bloods, it's about. I mean, I'm remembering what I read now, but it's about. A t- a two ambulance drivers in South London, right? Yeah, it's well, it's about a team of paramedics, right? Um, so they're all in pairs, and it's kind of the dynamic between the the pairs of paramedics, right? And yeah, um, yeah so my character is paired up with Samson Kale's character, who's fantastic. And, uh, he's he's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Again, I look, I saw yes. him on the cast. I saw Julian Barrett on the cast, and I saw you on the cast, yes. and thought, right. I'm, I need this show. This sounds great. Yeah, it is really great. And yes, yeah, so we're a very unlikely pairing um, because he's had somebody previously pairing with him who's his age. And then suddenly he gets this white middle-aged woman coming, <laughs> coming to work with him and he thinks his life's ended. Um, so it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, the dynamic between 
those two and and how they actually work through their relationship and um, come to terms with each other and actually grow to really like each other and trust each other. And um, yeah, it's a really lovely evolving of two people. And of course, then the challenge of being a paramedic and yeah, the, the, their day to day life and what, what, what they, what they come up against. And yeah, I mean, and uh, Sky and Rothcott have done a beautiful job at making it. Yeah, it, it looks great as well. You know, it's it's very it, it's comedic, obviously, yeah. and you know, it's nice to look at um, something that we see as as very serious, actually, in a comedic way. And that these these guys do actually have to have a bit of comedy in their lives to get through their day. Yeah, the the element of gallows humour has to be kind of mm. essential in, in in jobs like that. What- what yeah. is it that draws you to a particular project or a particular role at this at, at this stage? Um, well, I like the writing. The writing is always the main thing. And Samson had developed this this show with um, Nathan Byron. And Samson actually wanted to be a paramedic at one point. So right. it's invested with a lot of love. And that's what came across to me, that there's there's a lot of love in it, that, they, that the characters are warm, they're likeable. They're accessible, actually, and it's yeah, it's about it's about kind of humanity and um, you know all, all all the good things of life. It's about you know sort of being kind and um, you know yeah yeah sort of accepting accepting each other for who they are. All the characters, all the pairings that that's the kind of main theme of of it. That that that, that it's acceptance of uh, we're all different. Yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, I think that the writing is is a is a big pull, obviously, and then the character. And I always have to think about who I'm going to base the character on. I've got to think of a voice. You were talking about voice, and yeah, voice is the, is the first thing that I think of. I think, well, what voice would this character have? I know some people start with feet and shoes, and but it's um, for me it is what do they sound like? Uh, and so then I have to kind of think of somebody that I know who. Is similar to the character and, you know, my character Wendy in it is a very, yeah, she's a good-hearted soul and um, very forgiving and she's a facilitator. So she likes people, to, she likes to bring the best out of people and encourage people to to bring out their best side. Yeah. But sometimes that gets her into trouble because she goes a bit too far with it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, um, but I, you know, she's also she's she's brave in that she's left left nottingham i said nottingham funny then nottingham um she's left nottingham and she's come to to london southeast london wants a complete change of life and has sort of left her family behind and wants 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 to reinvent herself basically so it's um i just think for for my age there's a, there's a lot of things in wendy that i can relate to yeah. of getting to an age where you do think actually um this is like the third act and and it would be really nice to reinvent and yeah. do something completely different and be brave and you know kind of scare yourself a bit and that's what she's doing she's she's really yeah investing in something completely new for herself so um yeah i mean that i i like what she was saying about my age group of women yeah i love that you kind of um the highlighting there of of the warmth and heart that that samson obviously has for the subject matter and i think it's something that is so easily overlooked particularly in 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 comedy at times but when it's it's there it's perfect i think things like people just do nothing and and this country and stuff like that have Mm. 
they're they're about such specific areas and in a way you are laughing at that scene or that area but because the people creating it love that scene in that area so much and come Mm. from those worlds it's not having a go or derogatory or or pointing and laughing as such and that's what 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 makes these things work i think it's essential to have that as you said it's a serious area of work so i think uh, without the warmth it probably could have been a whole different show or felt very different but because that from the sounds of it that genuine love and respect is in there it it's it's it sits comfortably and works yeah and we need some of that don't we in life yeah Yeah, we really do (laughs) particularly now yeah i think that's uh you know, we're all kind of craving each other and wanting to get back with each other and be in groups together and celebrate each other. And so it, it feels very apt that that's, that's the message that this show is giving out, that, yeah, we do actually function much better when we're with people and and uh, we're actually a bit more generous-spirited. Yeah, well, I think that's that's the perfect note and, uh, and tone to, uh, to end on, right? That's... It's 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 a warmth and positivity, which, again, in this time, is also something that's that's harder and harder to find at times. So yeah, I I really appreciate your time and thank you very much for for coming on and having a chat. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Jane Horrocks. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Genuinely go and check out Queen Bees. It's amazing. I really rate it as a as a podcast. It's so relaxing and so enjoyable. Um, I talked about it. In fact, I recommended it on the Pod Bible podcast. Pod Bible podcast is an, another podcast I often do. Um, I sometimes host. I'm sometimes on as a guest. But um, it's all about talking about podcasts and giving recommendations. It's also produced by the best pr- pr- producer in the world, Buddy Peace, who's the producer of this very podcast. I'll be back next week. Or will I be back before then? I might have a little surprise episode for you, but I'm not even going to tell you when. But yeah, I might be back again this week. Rumour has it. So um, until then... Stay safe, really safe, please. Stay sane and stay um, s- stay silly. Let's end with stay silly. All right, ta-ta.